The Athletic. Totally Football Show. Today, murder at the Vicarage. It's Ollie over for Solskjaer, who signs off poignantly with his signature two goals in added time, with Watford a fitting epitaph for the manager, minus the deep. Perhaps we ask who for next at Man United. Meanwhile, we check on Norwich, Villa and Newcastle, how bouncy were their new bosses. See Spurs try some of these shots on target and hold me back. Witness Arteta going teta-teta as Liverpool and Arsenal scrap. Plus the Premier League's best-kept secret, the season's worst refereeing decision and more in this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Listener, it's Monday 22nd of November. Thank you so much for joining us. Here we are with another Totally, and it's a packed one. Woof. Uh, with us today, Adrian Clark, Dan Bardell and Daniel Story. Hello to you all. Morning, James. Good morning. Hello, James. Yeah. Morning to you, listener, as well. Or afternoon. As I say, it's a busy show. Managerial changes this season. They don't stop coming. We just had our sixth, of course, this weekend. You'll have seen the news. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, the sixth of the season. The first to get his own goodbye video, though, which is a trend I hope is going to be continuing. Yeah, big fan. Well, I can see if I was a Manchester United fan that I would have enjoyed that. But for everyone else, it did feel a little bit bake off the extra slice, kind of talking about the journey and the friends you've made along the way and why mm. that was the real treasure all along. And um, Yeah, it, it wasn't for me, I have to say. Man United making this decision, we'll talk about the game in a little bit, but has it all come a little bit too late? Have they missed out on options that they, they, they would have been better off having, like, say, Antonio Conte? Gary Neville said that they would never have gone for Conte. I don't know whether he's privy to that kind of information from the board, but there isn't an awful lot around. So, you know, they've kind of wrecked their season by by waiting. They're so far adrift from, from where they want to be now. It was always going to happen, so I, I, I don't really understand why they waited so, so long to pull the trigger because they've been getting worse for weeks. There was no way he was going to turn it round. I guess there was always a lot of goodwill from a large section of the Manchester United fan base. I, I was actually quite a big fan of Fernandez taking the blame for the, for the players, saying it saying it was the players because it, it's not often players do carry the can for stuff like this. So I was quite, quite a big fan of him doing that. But to, to answer the original question... I don't really know who's about now for them to get. It was it right. was fake though, wasn't it? Let, let's Probably. Right. Bruno Fernandes wasn't being sincere there at all. Um, I'm not calling him a snake, Adrian. No, I'm not calling him a snake. <laughs> I just think that that it's a fib, really, on his part. He's, 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 he he wasn't saying blame. He doesn't really mean blame the players. He knew that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was as sort of limited a coach as we can see and 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 that I think shone through in the game against Watford the, the players had had down tools it was it was a display that that demanded that the Manchester United board finally acted and on on Manchester United's board I just get the feeling that they're guilty of of being daydreamers you know just dreamers that that somehow believed in a miracle that, that one day things would turn around and they wouldn't have to make this call, that Ollie would suddenly become an elite head coach. And, and it just was never going to happen. And, and by sitting on their heels, they, they've missed out on, on, on a great coach in Conte. But they'll, st- they'll still get another good one. But well, they'll, they'll, they'll get a couple. They'll mm-hmm. get a couple, though, because they've got Michael Carrick in now, who we hear is in until they get an interim coach, which is another first, I think, in, in, in sorting out your manager managerial issue you have an interim before the interim what's the what's the prospect There's a lot of headlines this morning uh, Monday morning about say Zidane who Julian Laurent was rubbishing those stories last week but also Pochettino making a return from Paris there's long been a talk of Brendan Rodgers possibly being lined up for for the old Trafford job what do you think what who would your money be on Daniel I think what probably makes the most sense is a caretaker offer, whether that's Lauren Blanc or Ralph Rangnick or someone on a short-term deal to the end of the season, maybe to bang a few heads together. Um, and then Pochettino next summer, uh, who doesn't really seem to be enjoying life in Paris and would either leave on his own terms, having won a Champions League and a league untitled, or leave as a kind of mutual consent, a kind of conscious uncoupling if it doesn't really work out between now and then. My... my 
fear for United is that they they go down a route for an interim coach of someone they know, aka someone that has history at the club, and Lauren Blanc is is obviously seen as one option. And but what happens if that guy does all right? They're in exactly the same position as they were with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, where unless they announce are able to announce the head coach, the permanent head coach, well ahead of time, mm. they're either replacing someone that's done really well, or they stick again with the interim manager, which is is a nonsense. It's not how it should work. Wouldn't Laurent Blanc be a little bit toxic given some of his past comments on issues yeah. that are pretty much at the forefront of, of, of the Premier League sensibilities at the moment, like racism? Yes, he would. Um, there's no doubt about that. Whether that stops Manchester United going in for him if they think he's the best option, I don't. I don't know. Um, it, those those things I say with incredibly cynical hat on, but those things seem to make matter until they don't matter as much as something else. Mm. All right. Well, it's going to be fascinating watching that whole managerial appointment uh, soup opera unfold. Uh, one fun fact uh, while we're here. More than 20% of all Man United's home defeats ever in Premier League history have come under Ligana Solskjaer. Uh, Adrian? Yeah, and, and that is a fact, indisputable. But so is this record-breaking away run that he had right. and an amazing record against Pep Guardiola. Some some fabulous victories, tactical-based victories over Pep Guardiola. So, so just to balance things out, it wasn't all the shambles. Plus, there were the friends he made along the way, Daniel. Yeah, indeed. I mean, one thing I would say is that Manchester United fans, understandably, because this always happens, particularly if you have a, a manager who you have an emotional connection to, there's a lot of blame being shifted towards those players. And not just blame, but kind of damning indictments that they simply aren't good enough. And it's amazing, Adrian will know this more than me, but it's amazing how quickly that perception can shift when a, a good coach comes in and improves those players. Like, we'll, we'll talk about the game, I'm sure, but... Mm. That Watford team, the stars in that Watford team on Saturday were the spine of the team. And that was Ben Foster, who Manchester United didn't think was good enough. Craig Cathcart, who Manchester United didn't think was good enough. Tom Cleverley, who Manchester United didn't think was good enough. And Josh King, who Manchester United didn't think were good enough. So those players can perform better. Players can become better with a good coach and when they Mm. feel like they have some faith in the system. So this kind of writing off of Harry Maguire and writing off of the midfield. And I I think that's nonsense. I think it, it can quite quickly look a lot better. Okay, well, Man United fans will be hoping so. Uh, We will get on to the game very, very shortly. 30 goals scored this weekend on the Saturday alone, five of them at Vicarage Row. What else happened? Well... Chelsea kicked things off Saturday lunchtime with that 3-0 win at Leicester. The three new managers all debuted at 3 o'clock. Newcastle with Eddie Howe absent, only managed a point at home to Brentford, a 3-3 draw there. Things went better for Stephen Gerrard's Villa, 2-0 winners over Brighton. And Dean Smith's Norwich, who got Smith some revenge against Saints with a 2-1 win. Watford beat Man United 4-1. Wolves had a 1-0 win over West Ham, continuing their excellent run. And in the late kickoff, Liverpool beat Arsenal 4-0. On Sunday, it was 3-0 for Man City over Everton, while Spurs beat Leeds 2-1 with shots on target and everything. That leaves the top three. Chelsea three points clear of Man City, with Liverpool a point further back. The bottom three, Newcastle, now last. Five points from safety. Norwich climb up 1-19. to Burnley are in 18th. With Leeds now the next in line, only two points clear of the drop. All right, then, we're back to the Vicarage for more on that huge result for the Hornets. Moving Watford a whopping four points clear of the drop with that win over Man United. Let's hear now about this result with celebrity Watford fan Kelly Summers. All right, Kelly. (laughs) Celebrity Watford fan. Thanks, James. We've got you on to talk about this extraordinary game. How many times have you watched it so far? Well, I might have watched it twice, but I've been in isolation. So can I use that as a as a kind of caveat? I wouldn't have done otherwise. But as a Watford fan, when these moments come along, you do have to enjoy them and savour them. Right. OK, so the first time around, could you believe what was happening to win for one? But also when you had that, that gift of the penalty early on, only to see it saved twice. Yeah, at that point, I was thinking, when we got the penalty awarded, I was thinking, this is the perfect start. I thought it was, firstly, and now it doesn't matter, but I thought it was a strange decision that Ishmael Assar took it twice, to be honest, for a young player, both the penalties. And you could see when he went to take the second penalty, 
I thought with his eyes, um, the commentator where I was watching it, you could see his eyes were looking specifically one way. And I just thought, he's not going to score this second one either. And then you think that's going to give Manchester United the bit between their teeth to go on and turn it around. But I mean, we've seen that Manchester United have their own issues at the moment, but the spirit and the determination that Watford showed, I'll be honest, isn't something that I expected. And it's not something we've seen too much of this season. But yeah, it was from that moment on, given the fact that we missed that penalty twice, to go on and win 4-1 is even more remarkable. Kelly, you say you don't see it that often, but you've battered Everton 5-2 with a sort of destructive away performance full of pace and power. And you've you've bulldozed through a really limp Manchester United team scoring four goals. So is this the new normal at Watford? This is probably the most frustrating thing about being a Watford fan because... You can, we can pull out brilliant performances. You even think back to the opening day, 3-0 up at half-time against Aston Villa and then we were kind of holding on a little bit towards the end. Um, but then you flip that on its head, Adrian, and you look at that game against Liverpool. Mm. We can kind of, I know Liverpool are brilliant and what scares me is we've got City and Chelsea in the next few weeks as well. Having watched them this weekend, I don't, I dread to think what we can do to them. But yeah, it kind of goes from the sublime to the pretty poor we just need to find a bit of middle ground a bit of in between and hope that those days like Saturday are more often than the days like the ones against Liverpool I think not just Liverpool but also the home defeat to Saints those those have been the two appearances at yeah. Vicarage Road under that's the thing you can't that, 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 that defeat to Saints James was the week after Everton and everyone's kind of feeling really high and thinking if we can go away from home and score five mm. we're going to score at least once against Southampton and that was a, I watched that game as well and that was incredibly poor and to be honest it kind of worries me for Leicester next Sunday really because whenever we have one of these brilliant performances it takes a few weeks to find another but given the fact I think it's Chelsea and Manchester City after Leicester right I'd like to think we've got some momentum going into next Sunday's game as well well yeah especially with your Gandalf like gaffer in charge Claudio Ranieri on his narrative (laughs) tour uh, his old club Leicester and then Chelsea and then Manchester City I don't know anything's possible also tactically I want to kind of tip my hat to him because on Saturday I thought tactically he was brilliant Joshua King spoke after the game and said they'd really analysed the way they played against Liverpool and how Liverpool got at them of course Watford don't quite no disrespect to their players have the calibre of player that Watford have but he talked about the high press and that was evident from the off Um, on match of the day they showed just how many Watford players were swarming around Manchester United and they were forcing Manchester United to go long I thought they really kept their shape and I thought it was really interesting Joshua King saying after the game that was the manager's plan and we did it and even when in that second half he took off I can't remember who he took off but he bought on Hernandez there was no going defensive and I thought had we gone defensive in those last few minutes when it was 2-1 it could have been a very very different story but we carried on going for it and I thought that was brave from Ranieri and it paid off yeah well you could have more than four no no question is this you're now four points clear of the drop I do recall Nigel Pearson having a a, a mighty victory over (laughs) Man United at Vicarage Road, and it didn't work out too well for him. Is this a bit of a turning point, Kelly? Can you find some hope in your heart that this is this new tactical duration, this new high press, etc., is going to see you rocket up the table? For all of the reasons I've just discussed, James, I refuse mm. to talk about one game as a talking as a turning point. Sorry, just because I think we think it before we thought it after Everton um, on the opening day against Aston Villa, we all had so much optimism. We're not going to be climbing the table into the top half of just for the reason of those two fixtures, those three fixtures ahead of us we've talked about. But it does give us hope. If we can play like that, that front three, I saw a lot of people on social media talking after, that front three of Ishmael Assad, Joshua King and Emmanuel Dennis can cause any team problems on their day. And I actually thought the midfield three as well, it had to be changed around Tom Cleverley, who was sensational, had his first start um, under Ranieri as part of a midfield three. And he was brilliant as well. It's about keeping those players fit as well. Ishmael Assad limping off in the second half of that one. Defensively, there's still question marks, still no clean sheets. So we're going to have to kind of rely on outscoring teams. So I'll tell you one thing, it's not going to be boring. But yeah, we've got a brilliant chance of staying up. But I refuse to draw on that one game as being the turning point. All right then, Kelly. Magnificent stuff. Thank you very much for joining us this morning. Thanks for having me. It's always nice to come on and talk about Watford not changing managers, but winning instead. (laughs) (laughs) As for United, anything else you want to say about their performance? A team who have won fewer games than Norwich over the last two months. It was nice to see Donny van der Beek get 45 Mm. minutes. I thought that was a 
it was interesting that's something that hasn't happened very often Solskjaer on his, on his last game decided that he could have more than a, a three minute cameo and he, he scored a, a nice goal but he'll be, be interesting who, whether, whoever comes in makes more use of him because he's been criminally underused by Solskjaer I think you know when Tom Cleverley's better than your starting central midfielders in McTominay and Fred yeah, I think there's serious questions going to be asked as to why Van der Beek hasn't been given more of a chance. I, I find that unbelievable. Mm. Big games coming up for uh, the interim boss, the interim interim boss, uh, Michael Carrick. They've got Villarreal midweek. We'll hear from Alvaro Romeo a little bit later on about how uh, Unai Emery's side are doing ahead of that match. Uh, but in the Premier League, they've got Chelsea away next. Kelly was talking about Watford's run of fixtures, but Chelsea away next for the new man in charge. That's not a great place to start. No, it's not because Tuchel is, <laughs> has proven himself everything that that Solskjaer couldn't in terms of, you know, I, I watched him against Leicester the weekend and they're without two strikers. So he says, right, we're going to be defensively solid and we're going to use the wing backs and we're going to use Ngolo Kante as this marauding central midfielder. And even when it doesn't work every time, you can at least see what they're trying to do and you can see how it will be successful because every player knows their role within the plan and that's the opposite of Manchester United and, you know, with all respect to Michael Carrick, he's already been on the staff for a while uh, and, you know, he has had a hand in this and he's not been a manager before. It's incredibly hard for him to, you know, the flip side of them signing lots of good players is that that makes them incredibly hard to manage when things aren't going well, particularly if you are seen by those players as kind of, you know, not a fresh face. You are already just kind of stepping up into somebody else's shoes. So, yeah, you do fear for them. Yeah. Keep your eye on how they run. I know it's a really simple base sort of notion, but they didn't run very hard at Watford. I thought we we could all see that. Matic, Lindelof, etc., Maguire, they look so sluggish, so lazy, really, in, in all of their effort in terms of closing players down. Chelsea, they can, they can outrun anyone. They are, they're a very powerful team, very athletic, really sharp. If both teams produce the same effort levels next weekend, it could get really messy. But I'd expect some kind of reaction from United, surely. Mm. They'll be without Harry Maguire, of course, after... His critics held their hands to their ears as, as he got that that red card. And they'll be without Varane as well for the trip to Stamford Bridge. All right, we'll check in on Chelsea and how they got on it. The King Power and the other top teams next on the Totally Football Show. It's the Paddy Power Supporters Support Line and we're speaking to Spurs fan Mark. Yeah, it's Harry Kane. He's absolutely banging him in for England, but then he's playing for us and, well, there won't be four goals a game. Yeah, true, but he also won't be playing against countries whose entire population wouldn't fill the stadium. Being a football fan isn't always rewarding, but if it's rewards you're after, then try Paddy Power's Bet Builder offer. Get money back as a free bet if one leg of your Bet Builder lets you down. Paddy Power. Pretty much online Bet Builder bets only. Min odds one to five per leg. Min four plus legs. Max free bet £10 per day. Excludes enhanced match odds. Must have previously deposited to avail. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. BeGambleAware.org. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Quarter of the way through the season, we got three exceptional sides leading the way in the Premier League. All three had big victories this weekend: Chelsea at King Power, Man City at home to Everton, Liverpool four nil at home to Arsenal. This was this was billed as the big test whether the Gunners really were turning it around under Mikel Arteta or whether their 10-game unbeaten run was just about an easier run of fixtures. For an hour, it seemed like the former might be true, Adrian. Mm. I'd say for the first half an hour, Arsenal were really competitive and it gave the fans something to, to cling on to. The organisation was good. They were, they were nice and resilient. But that row between Arteta and Klopp, it undoubtedly provoked Liverpool into a reaction and and they were a different animal after that. They really were. And so with the crowd, the noise levels went up, the intensity of the match went up and, and that's where Arsenal really struggled. And, and the very best teams, no matter what level you play at, they force you into making difficult decisions more often than bad teams. And that's what Liverpool did. With their pressure football, they swarmed all over Arsenal and... and 
and all eyes were on these young, sort of inexperienced players, Premier League rookies. Can they handle that sort of tempo, that pace, that quality that they're up against? And and that's where the mistakes came in for Arsenal. And I, I think that 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 it's a really valuable lesson for them. I really do. Uh, Liverpool, I would say, are scholars under Jurgen Klopp. Arteta's team is in its infancy, and we could see that in this match that was the the clear difference it was it was yeah Arsenal aren't ready yet to compete against teams like Liverpool over the course of 90 minutes if the favourites are are at it and and they really were for that final hour it was it was tremendous from Liverpool yeah I I thought one of the the, the one of the surprising things of the match for me was just how good Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain was in terms of that pressing because Klopp had clearly told them look, we need to set the tone. We've been poor defensively. One of the best ways to to, to avoid that is to press high and protect that defence. And alongside Thiago and Fabinho, who aren't really pressing midfielders, one's a protector and one's a bit more of a kind of strolling passer. I, I kind of feared for, for Oxlade-Chamberlain to do that by himself, but he was he was absolutely brilliant. I think he, yeah. I think he won possession nine times in the final third of the pitch. And no Arsenal midfielder did it more than four times. And he was just, he was everywhere. I mean, off the ball, that must have been his best performance in a Liverpool shirt. I don't know if it's because he was playing Arsenal and kind of feels like he has a bit of a point to prove, but he was probably the best player in the game for me. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And look at the goal, that key goal where Tavares makes that suicidal square pass inside your own half. Obviously, that's a basic error. But when he dribbles the ball out, Tavares, Oxlade Chamberlain steams towards him. There's no holding his position. He he basically just sprints at him and forces him into making a panicky decision. And that's what Liverpool did all over the pitch. And and Daniel's right. I mean, the Ox was, was sensational in this game. He really was. And yeah, I, I just feel that on reflection, it's easy on reflection, but I think Mikel Arteta, was, if he could pick that team again, he would certainly have picked Kieran Tierney uh, ahead of Nuno Tavares. I think you, you play your best defenders at, at Anfield and... And he was fit and, and ready to go, but he didn't want to drop Tavares because he'd been so excellent in recent games. But this was this was always going to be the acid test. It doesn't get any tougher, does it, than facing Trent Alexander-Arnold and Mo Salah. And, and Tavares struggled, really. Yeah, I was going to say as well, Adrian, you talk about, you know, Arsenal having a, a young, they're a, they're a rookie side. Now Arteta's still a relatively rookie manager, especially compared to Jurgen Klopp and again on the team selection. I think if you could turn back time, you know, maybe that kind of hybrid four four two wasn't really the answer. Maybe an extra body in midfield against Liverpool rather than Lacazette would have been helpful. I understand that he wanted to keep the team that had done so well together, but for a certain type of games, you, you, I think you have to make changes on a game-by-game basis. And I think he'll look back and probably think he should have done a couple of things differently. Mm, including that sideline scrap. I did wonder while it was happening whether this was him kind of showing a bit of grinta, a little bit of... Grit for the players, you know, a bit like I'm watching the Sopranos at the moment in season six when Tony comes back from the hospital and he, he picks a fight with his bodyguard just to show that he's still top dog. I wondered if yeah. Mikel was trying that. And of course, yeah. if so, it backfired hugely. Yeah, I, I, there's a part of me that thinks Jurgen Klopp used his experience to provoke the argument. I really do, because Arteta's beef was with the official, wasn't right. it initially? And it was Klopp that started the row between them. And ah. my sense was that Jurgen Klopp, because it was so flat, really quiet Anfield until that point, he took the opportunity to to create some energy inside the stadium. Whether he did right. it deliberately or subconsciously, I'm not I'm not quite sure. But it worked. What Klopp did there for me worked, and it and it certainly backfired against Arsenal. Genius, genius. If part two goes a bit flat, I'm going to pick a fight with someone. <laughs> Watch the energy crackle. <laughs> I put it to you, it would have been six or seven, but for Aaron Ramsdale. Yeah, I think that's fair, James. He he has been the best Premier League goalkeeper, I think, since he came into the Arsenal first team. He's, his shot stopping is, is ridiculous. The one save he made from Diogo Jota, where he was going the wrong way and he stuck out that left hand, was was another one that, that he can add to the showreel. So no, look, it's it was a chastening game for Arsenal, it really was. But, but for Aaron Ramsdale, another example of what he's all about and if he can maintain this level I don't see how Jordan Pickford can 
can keep him away from that number one spot with England. But but look, there is a long way to go this season and, and I'm sure mistakes might be made along the way. But Ramsdale is in the form of his life. Mm. That was his first defeat, wasn't it? Mm. Since, since he's come in. I, I mean, I thought he'd add to a little bit of the chaos at Arsenal, but he's actually stabilised them really, really well. So right. fair play to him because I, I didn't understand that signing. I, I criticise that signing quite heavily on, on podcasts I do, which, which shows exactly what I know. But he's come in <laughs> and he's really, really been an asset to them. And he's a great character as well. There's not many goalkeepers with a character like him nowadays. So he's, he's been a breath of fresh air for Arsenal and he tasted defeat, but his stock is still very, very high at the moment. Mm. Liverpool have scored at least three goals in all seven home league games against Arsenal under Jurgen Klopp. So there you go. Uh, Daniel, you're off at the King Power for the early game Saturday. Chelsea's 3-0 win over Leicester. We've touched a little bit on Thomas Tuchel and what was in many ways a routine victory for his side here. A Leicester 2-0 down inside the opening half hour. Would you like to talk a little bit about the problems going on at Leicester? They haven't kept a clean sheet now since the opening weekend of the season. And they're on a pretty rotten, rotten, sorry, run of form. Five games without a win in all competitions now. Yeah, and it, it, my worry is that this was exactly the same as the Arsenal game in that they started really flat and they conceded a goal from a set piece, near post, central defender running, flicking in. Gabriel did it, Rudiger did it this weekend. Then they're left kind of chasing the game but can't find a response and a high-class opponent just picks a way through and I mean nobody pressed N'Golo Kante when he ran 40 yards I mean it's a brilliant goal it's a brilliant finish and maybe they didn't expect Kante to score that with his left foot but nobody pressured him at all and then the crowd are on their backs and they still didn't really find a response at all Chelsea just kept them at arm's length and because of how Leicester did last season and the season before you assume that Rodgers has got a lot of goodwill in the bank there um, it didn't feel like it <laughs> on Saturday. They were booed off at half-time. They were booed off at full-time. There are groans every time they kind of... Very much like Tottenham in the first half yesterday. It, they, there's groans every time they choose to play a sideways or backwards pass, which isn't fair because, you know, that can be a very sensible way of doing things. But it's about... I don't know. It's a, it's about PR. And Brendan Rodgers is very good at PR. And he doesn't. he seems to have lost it a little bit here because he was asked after Arsenal about the set-piece thing and he said, well, loads of teams are conceding from set-pieces, which is an odd thing to say because Leicester City fans don't care about other clubs. They care about their club. And his name now being linked with Manchester United, mm. which isn't his fault. Um, you know, it's a compliment to him, I suppose. But I spoke to a few Leicester fans and they were kind of like, well, hang on a minute you need to make sure you do your job at Leicester first and take us to where we think we should be because this season they've been really, really poor. In, in, in I've seen them six times, I think, live now and they've been poor in, in most of or some of all of those games. They weren't so keen on him finishing off a season when they took him from Celtic, of course. Like <laughs> <Dan>. <laughs> nah, that's true. I mean, the, the Celtic and Rangers, the manager, managers leaving mid-season seems to be very on vogue mm. at the moment. <laughs> what I was going to say about... About Brendan Rodgers and, and Leicester, I just they, they seem to have lost the ability to play out from the back. From I was really uncomfortable doing it. It took me back to that weird Channel Five documentary when Brendan Rodgers took over at Liverpool and he's trying to implement new ideas. These aren't new ideas that he's trying to do at Leicester, but they just don't seem to be able to implement it at all. And that, and when you're doing things like that wrong, the crowd they will turn very, very quickly. But I, I just wonder whether there's now a massive hangover at Leicester from what's happened the last two seasons. I think there's a fragility there. I think they'll be looking back on the near misses on the Champions League two years in, in a row. And I really think that's having an effect on them. But I think it's having an effect on Brendan Rodgers as well. Like, like you say, some of the stuff he's coming out with is a little bit weird, a, a little bit strange. I just think the whole club, Leicester, it's, it's all a bit off. When you've got a shaky defensive foundation, and Leicester have definitely got a shaky defensive foundation, it rub, it can rub off on, on everybody. And I think Soyuncu has just been truly awful this season. Fafana's absence has been felt greatly. Johnny Evans is is limping through games. Wilfred Ndidi has, has barely been fully fit this season. The, the, these are massive players for Leicester and none of them have been right. And I just think there's an edginess. On Brendan Rodgers, very quickly, I, I had the chance to interview him pitch side after the Burnley game and he got booed for taking off Adamola Lookman that game. And I, <laughs> I sort of sucked it up and I asked him about that. Um because I couldn't remember Leicester, him being booed at Leicester before. He sort of smiled it off, laughed it off. He said, oh, look, how long have I been here? Almost a couple of years. I think I've done all right. If that's my first boo, I think we've, I think we've done okay. Um, but 
there have been boos in almost every game, apart from the Manchester United one since. And I think it's getting to him. I really do. He does not like it. And and I guess he's thinking, well, I've turned you from a very mediocre team into a Champions League chasing side. And, and I think I deserve a bit more credit in the bank, I guess. Um, but they, 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 they won the title just before he was there, Adrian. The title, <laughs> yeah, I suppose, but yeah, yeah, I mean, they, they, they were in, they weren't in a good place when he took over. He's, no. he's done okay. a brilliant job. Very another quick one. Tactically, I think he made a mistake. I did uh, a preview of the game for the Premier League website, uh, sort of analysing Chelsea up against back threes and up against back fours, mm. and up against back three teams, they have now won six matches out of six. And they have not conceded a single goal, Chelsea. When teams match them up, they're too good for them. All of their drop points, all of their goals conceded have come against teams that have played with a back four and therefore pretty much had two wide players covering those those, those wing backs. Um, so I think his switch to a back three here was was an error. And uh, yeah, if he had another chance, again, he, he, he might have stuck with a back four that they'd been using in, in previous games. He mm. seems to he seems to go to a back three because he's for the worst possible reason, which is I, I don't trust only only having two central defenders. <laughs> what at least one of them is out of form. So if I pick another one, it will work. But the reason Leicester fans are impatient is because this summer just gone was the first time in about five years that they haven't sold a flagship player. They haven't sold Ben Chilwell or Riyad Mahrez or Angola Kante or and, Harry Maguire or Harry Maguire, uh, and that sent a message you know, implicitly from the club that this is our serious season. We've stopped selling players now. This is one where we really push on. Mm. And, you know, they're in the bottom half. So he's not in trouble yet, but there are there are fringes of that Leicester support that are getting pretty fed up. Quick word on Man City, who keep pace with the remarkable uh, Chelsea up there at the top. That opening goal, the pass from João Cancelo, the finish from Sterling. Any words? Beautiful. That's the only word. Absolutely beautiful. What a, what a pass! And it was a, actually no one really spoke about the finish that much. It was a very very good finish from Raheem Sterling mm. as well. You know you can see him be erratic at goal quite often in circumstances like that. But I thought he took it really really well. But Cancelo's a, a joke at the moment. He, he goes under the radar a little bit because of Trent Alexander Arnold and, and how good he is. But Cancelo is is right up there. Those two right. have got to be two of the most creative players in the entirety of the Premier League at the moment. And, you know, Cancelo's playing left-back, Trent's playing right-back. That's absolutely ridiculous. Six assists this season for Cancelo, which is as many as he'd managed in the previous two uh, seasons for City combined. He's a phenomenal modern-day fullback, isn't he? The hybrid central midfielder slash right-winger it's or left-winger. It's amazing. He's equally good on either side. We saw two moments in this game, didn't we, where football became art in very different ways. We saw the delicacy of the outside-of-the-foot pass for Raheem Sterling. And then we saw the thunderbolt from Rodri that, that sort of lashed into the top corner. It's Yeah, there's, that, those were two two highlights in a very... Sort of one-sided game. I mean, Everton. I don't know what Everton fans think about their effort in this particular match. For for me, it was as as sort of limp as it gets. The frightening thing for City is that they seem to Guardiola seems to have this ability more than any other manager that the high-class attributes of creative players seem to basically rub off on every other player there. So you've got Cancelo playing passes like Kevin De Bruyne. You've got Cole Palmer and James McAtee, who are these youngsters. And McAtee just looks, it's basically David Silver clone. And Gary Neville mm. said that on commentary, I think he was like... The Salford he, Silver, I think they call him, no? Yeah, but he, it, it's not as easy as you train with this player and you become this player. But Guardiola seems to have this... He did it with Foden, and that you know that's why he doesn't like his young players going out on loan because he thinks uh, you know normally competitive minutes are far more valuable than training. But if you can manage to make your senior players incredibly influential, so much so that you create these little kind of prototype versions of them, then it is better than sending them out on loan because McAtee already looks in 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 like five minutes. He had about four touches where you were like, yeah, I can see you're going to be made for the Premier League. Mm. All right, well, we're discussing City and, and goal scoring. A quick mention for their all-time top scorer, Sergio Aguero. I'm not sure, I don't think it's official yet, but talk this weekend that he's now decided to retire because of those heart problems which forced him to come off recently for Barcelona. A tremendously sad way for that incredible career to, to come to a close. Yeah, and, and it's a sign of how 
quickly our kind of expectations of of foreign imports in the Premier League have changed because I remember Aguero coming in and it was like you know I hadn't seen that much of him and that day just that debut against Swansea you like this feels feels like a computer game player that can just pick the ball up and choose exactly where he wants to shoot the ball into the bottom left hand corner he was a phenomenal phenomenal striker and yeah, I mean, I think if this had happened maybe when he was 10 years younger, there would have been a, a workaround solution. But I can fully understand why already in the autumn of his career, he feels like it's not worth the risk. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. And with Paddy Power, if something doesn't go quite to plan, you can get your money back as a free bet if one leg of your bet builder lets you down. Which is good news if Porto can't beat Liverpool's under-12s at Anfield in the Champions League this week. It's over 18 only T's and C supply, and please, 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 gamble responsibly. New managers. See Eddie Howe absent, but his Newcastle side picking up a point at home to Brentford. Wins, though, for Norwich and Aston Villa. Dan, you were at. Villa's clash with Brighton, which gives us an opportunity to hear you say uh, Daniel's favourite word for you to pronounce, which is which is what? It was chaos, but I was going to say it in the Newcastle game, but I've already ruined it by saying it about Arsenal. About oh, Arsenal, right. I don't think I can oh, over. Right. Don't think I can overuse it. I don't. I don't want Daniel to become bored of it if it's his favourite <laughs> thing that I do. I don't know what other stuff he likes that I do. But, sicken, you know, that's the sicken only one. myself on you saying the word chaos is a quite niche. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, sorry, I thought you might be using chaos in in, in conjunction with with Villa, but uh, th- this game not chaotic. Uh, although no, no chaos, no, no chaos, chaos at Villa Park. I mean Brighton, quite a weird side. Brighton, I found watching them, they just seem to try and kill the game. They just pass for for passes' sake, keep the ball. Didn't really ever feel like that they were going anywhere. I was. Mm. Your first 10, 15 minutes, Villa came out the blocks absolutely flying and you thought, oh, here we go. Gerrard's come in and he's made a difference. Interestingly, I know that you know the players come back from international break and I know that he put on a, a training session Thursday night. I don't know how often that happens when teams get back from international duty, but you know he, he put on a big session Thursday night with the, with the Villa players. And you could see that the, the press felt very coordinated, that the, the way the Villa players moved looked, looked, looked a lot more fluid when... When they were when they were hunting for the ball before under under Dean Smith, it, it had got a little bit tired. I think I don't think it looked as fluid as it did under Gerard. But they also sat in when they needed to and defended and got blocks in. You know, in the first half, there was bodies on the line. Martinez made made a couple of saves and Gerard spoke after the game about having to suffer through periods of the game, but just making sure you hold on to that clean sheet, making sure you stay in the game. And because Villa did that, when the game opened up in the in the last ten minutes. They were able to capitalise. I thought. I thought Potter made a mistake. Actually, I thought. You know, I know Lamptey's only just come back from from injury. It wasn't so much the taking taking Lamptey off, but he brought on a striker and he just opened up the game a little bit. And Villa ended up punishing Brighton because it was a little bit too open in that in that last ten minutes. And then, luckily, we didn't have to go through a horrible last last five minutes because we, we managed to score again quite quickly. But it's early days. He hasn't had much time to, to work with the players at all, Steve and Gerard. But there's something there to work with on, on all sides. You know, I think the Villa players will enjoy playing for Steve and Gerard, And I think Steve and Gerard's got some stuff to work with there with the players as well. Brilliant. All right. His old club, Rangers, meantime, suffering a shock defeat in the League Cup semi-final against Hibs on Sunday. They've got Giovanni van Bronckhorst taking charge uh, today. Today, for us being Monday. Mm. Uh, Daniel, something perhaps more more extraordinary at Carrow Road where Norwich not only won their second game in a row but came from behind to do it. Yes, the last 36 times that Norwich had trailed in any Premier League game so whether it was conceded the first goal or trailing 2-1 or they'd taken no points from those games so 36 defeats out of 36 and then Dean Smith comes in and I'm sure he wouldn't have wanted to go 1-0 down after four minutes but then they came roaring back and didn't just take a point, but actually won the game late on. They were they were pretty fortunate, I think. Southampton had 12 shots in the first half, and I think Norwich only had one. Um, so they were a bit fortunate, but Smith will, Smith will absolutely love that. He couldn't have 
have designed it any better to a end that miserable run of showing no resilience when falling behind and b getting a second win in a row after obviously Farker won his last game as well. Mm. And it's always nice for a new manager to make an impact at the break, isn't it? And they were clearly miles better in the second half. He did make that substitution. He he took off Campwell, who he'd brought back in. So that was a headline piece of team news that Campwell was back in favour. And for tactical reasons, he decided to change things. So he wasn't afraid to make a big decision on his opening day and potentially upset Todd Campwell by taking him off and, and bringing on Josh Sargent. And, and that change sort of helped them, I think. They, they were able to go a bit more direct in the second half, certainly more aggressive. And yeah, couldn't have worked out any better really for, for Dean Smith on opening day. Mm. Campbell Pookie with the equaliser. Grant Hanley scoring the winner, his first Premier League goal for almost a decade. Is that the longest gap ever between Premier League goals? No, it's no, not. It's not. I don't know the answer, but it's a quiz question I've heard before and it's All right. definitely Do you want not. to know the answer? Um, uh, I think we do now, don't we? It's, <laughs> uh, I, I'm annoyed I can't remember it, but yes, I do want to know the answer. All right. What are the initials, please? MJ. MJ. Right. Michael uh, I, Johnson. Ooh, no. no. Uh, oh, Matt Jarvis. Yeah, oh, so close. Matt Jackson. Matt <laughs> Jackson. Yes. Yeah. yes, Matt Jackson. Matt Jackson scored for Everton in 1993. And then Wigan. And, and then Wigan in 2006. That's yeah. insane. All right. Uh, Newcastle got a 3-3 draw against Brentford. That point, given other results, actually saw them drop to the bottom of the table. Eddie Howe, of course, taking over at uh, St. James's Park, but not there because he tested positive for COVID a couple of days, well, a day before the game. He did FaceTime each individual player on Saturday morning. And, and there was a noticeable difference in Newcastle's approach in terms of how often they got forward, how many shots they had as well. 23 shots, nine on target. I mean, this isn't... Graham Jones' Newcastle or, or Steve Bruce's Newcastle, is it? It's uh, Yeah, it was much more carefree, which is Eddie Howe, isn't it? It's, let's, let's be front foot. Let's ask questions of the opposition. So, yeah, even though he wasn't there, definitely had an impact. And I, I like the fact that he FaceTimed each of the players mm-hmm. on Saturday morning. It's little details like that that, that are important, I think, and, and making everybody feel A, valued, and, and B, that he's there watching. He's watching over them. So, so yeah, this is still the new manager judging you later on today. And, and I think that it's important to get that, that message across. It, yeah, it wasn't perfect. They were still a bit of a car crash at the back, but, but going forward, great. And, and I thought it was really interesting, the, the use of uh, 3-4-3, because he very rarely went with three at the back at Bournemouth. So will will that be the way he goes or will he go back to the 4-2-3-1 or 4-3-3 that worked for him down on the south coast and and, and using Sam Maximan out wide again um, rather than sort of down the middle, but but giving him licence to, to roam. I think that might be the way forward for them. All right. Wing backs were high as well, weren't they? Really, really high. It was a really attacking lineup, and you know, you've got Joe Linton. On, on the score sheet, you know, give it a few weeks, Joe Linton would probably have scored as many goals for Eddie Howe as he did under Steve Bruce. But, you know, he, he looked dangerous as well, except for when he fell over in, in stoppage time. But, he, you know, he, he looked pretty dangerous, I thought, from, from what I saw of the game. So, again, Eddie Howe, you can see a tangible difference. Mm. Well, the, the tangible difference for now is that they have dropped to the bottom of the table and are five points from safety. But, uh, yeah, glass half full and for those who prefer to see it that way. Uh, Spurs, meanwhile, not quite with a new manager. They're two games into the Antonio Conte reign, but pretty dramatic stuff in their clash with Leeds. Let's get on to that next. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? 
Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Eric Dyer. Oh, off the post and in! And there to meet it for this first goal for Spurs, it's Sergio Reguilon! Spurs taking on Leeds in the late game on Sunday afternoon and having gone a full sixth half of football without taking a shot on target, they were booed off at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Uh, but it was a very different soundtrack at the end, the stadium ringing instead to the pterodactyl-like war cries of, of An- Antonio Conte. What, what had he done apart well, from scare the bejesus out of his players at half-time? Well, I, 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 we said it just now about Dean Smith, and I think Conte would probably have planned it this way if he could as well, because Tottenham were, were awful in the first half. They didn't pass properly, the crowd groaned. But I think co- what Conte likes to do is... It, it will take time for his demands because they are exacting demands to get through to the players and for the, those players to react to it. But how he starts is by getting the fans on side and by, by making them urge for this effort every week. And if you're a Tottenham supporter, you cannot help but leave that stadium thinking, well, I hated the first half, but I loved the second half. And in the second half, they were running and they were energetic and they were upbeat and they were intense and... Therefore, Conte has his mandate and says, well, the fans have told you that's what they want. So now you're not allowed any catch up because if you have any catch up, you won't be able to run like that every week. So it's pretty it's pretty kind of two plus two equals four stuff. But the reality is that's how it works. It's what he worked at Chelsea. He he, he said that to, you know, he said that the players after they started slowly and they suffered those damaging defeats. And he said, well, the crowd want more from you and the crowd got more from Spurs. I thought Leeds were actually good in the first half. Yeah, I think you know they surprised them a little bit with their shape. It looked like Calvin Phillips was playing in the in the middle of a back three, and I, I just thought Leeds were actually good. You know, it wasn't that the Spurs couldn't really really live with them in the first half, and credit to them for coming back in the second and and cha- changing the game, and 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 you got more out of them in the second half. I don't know whether Leeds tired, but in the first half, I, don't, I haven't got the stats, but did Leeds just outrun Spurs in the first half, and Spurs outrun Leeds in the second half? I don't know whether it was that simple. Yeah, no, it was it was an impressive Leeds performance, and yeah, I think that's what makes that second half turnaround even more impressive from from Tottenham's point of view. And and look, aside from orchestrating the crowd, pumping them up, etc., getting an extra tune out of the players, being on the front foot and running with intensity inside the opposition half protects a very mediocre defence, doesn't it? And I just don't think that that this Tottenham defence is is good enough to absorb absorb pressure really unimpressed so far by by Emerson Royale and and he's not the only one that's that's suffering at the moment now let's talk about the best kept secret in the Premier League a secret which Daniel you blew the lid off uh, this Monday morning in your excellent the score column in the eye as you point out no team in the division has taken more points than Bruno Lage's Wolves over the last seven matches so quite a fair sample size that (laughs) Uh, they've won six of the last nine after losing their first three games under Bruno Large. And my word, under the radar, but way over expectations. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're in the top six of the Premier League. And yet I don't feel like I've really noticed them that much, which is uh, is a compliment to Bruno Large because the, the football isn't isn't particularly expansive. He's dropped Adama Traore, who was a kind of unpredictable element of Wolves' attack because he wants something a little bit more controlled and he feels like Daniel Podence offers that. And he stuck with it. You know, they lost to Crystal Palace and they were really poor, but he basically picks the same team and goes again. And they are very organised. They, they, they're similar in, in kind of in how they feel to a Nuno team in that you look at the table and you think, oh, actually, Wolves are doing pretty well. And, oh, Wolves have beaten that West Ham team who were just in really good form had won four in a row. They're, but they're quite different in style, different in shape. And yeah, I I feared for, for, for him when he was appointed, probably because of my kind of subconscious biases about not knowing much about a manager coming in from abroad and the reasons why he was appointed because of, you know, the Portuguese connection. But 
can't fault it. The, the, the teams they are ahead of have problems. Tottenham and Manchester United, the bigger ones, Leicester too. But they're there on merit, so fair play to them. They're in the top six. It is worth pointing out that two wins would put Watford where they are as well. There's only six points difference between yeah. them. But still, Adrian? Mm. I think Wolves are proof that a decent set of players can sometimes just need a change. We talked about Manchester United not writing off these individuals that are in such shocking form at the moment because sometimes you just get tired of, of, of a certain manager and, and their voice and their approach and, and someone fresh coming in can get you back to the levels that, that got you there in the first place. And I think that's what we're seeing with Wolves. It's not a dramatic change uh, all over the pitch. But, but those players are playing to their potential again. And I have to say, one one of the highlights of this match for me was the Ait Nuri dummy free kick. I don't know if you guys saw this one, where, where he, he was the one that, that ran over the ball and then he about turned and then, from a very unusual angle, whipped the cross in himself. So it was all about Ait Nuri. And, and yeah, I was asked to do that that particular free kick on, on several occasions as a player. And I never really fancied it because you, you're you so off balance when you're when you're sort of about turning to take that free kick. But to his credit, he, he did it really, really well. So, yeah, um, an, an old one, but a good one there from Wolves. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, West Ham, is this true that this was their... Coming into this game was only the fifth change to the lineup that they'd made in the Premier League this season. That's remarkable. Yeah, and that's the that's going to be the issue. I mean, David Moyes said after the game, kind of quasi-philosophically, well, matches like this will happen. We're not an elite team. We're a team that's played very well, but we're not an elite team. And the the strength of that West Ham team is in the whole. It's not within individuals. It's about the whole unit working together, which is great when it works, and it's why Moyes doesn't make many changes to the team. But when two or three players are off it, which they were at the weekend it very quickly becomes obvious and it looks quite flat. Now, Moyes is a good enough manager or has proved that at West Ham that they will be on it more than they will off be off it. But on on afternoons like this, they actually look quite an easy team to beat when, when the energy isn't quite there and when it all looks a bit flat. Lastly then, uh, from the Premier League weekend, Burnley's 3-3 draw with Crystal Palace. Another outing for Daniel's favourite word, Dan? Chaos. There you go. <laughs> Burnley in the bottom three now. Uh, not sure what else we can take from this game. It was everything happening. There was the incredible Maxwell Corne goal. There was uh, Christian Benteke with a brace. He's now got four goals in his last four Premier League starts. Can you make any sense of all of this? Come back to his, his villa form, Benteke. He changed his shirt number back to 20 last season. From He was always 20 at Villa and having that shirt number on his back, he seems to do something to him. When he's number 20, completely different player. He was 17 before at Crystal Palace. He's still a, a very, very effective striker. So so dangerous in, in the air and he's been good with his feet so far as well this season. He's probably, you know, when Edouard came in, Palace fans probably thought Benteke's not going to get much football, but he, he's the the main man there, really. Still, still putting the ball in, in, in the back of the net and I, I like seeing it because I've, I've got a lot of fondness for him. Mm. He's still still wheeling out the same sort of stomping celebration, isn't oh, he? Yeah, he loves uh, that. Yeah, he just <laughs> loves it. On Maxwell Corney, very quickly, James, I just think he's scoring goals mm. that Burnley wouldn't be scoring without him. And that is that is really important. It might save them. That, that particular signing, if he stays fit, might keep them in the Premier League because they have struggled so far this campaign. But... The amount of goals that he scored out of nowhere that no other Burnley player looks really capable of scoring will will be invaluable potentially. So yeah, what a signing. And I think I think that's that's the only thing that can keep Sean Dyche motivated really moving forward, isn't it? Just to bring in better quality players, um, just to sort of freshen things up each year. And uh, I expect to see uh, in January or the summer one or two more flair players like Cornet just really? to, to give Burnley something different. Huh. All right, because I'm already struggling with the whole cognitive dissonance of a player like, like Cornet at, you know, with the the Clarets. But, uh, yeah, bring it on. No, the, rea- the reality is is that their defending has kind of dropped off a cliff. Um, they've faced more shots than any other team in the Premier League this season, which is not what we expect from Burnley. So if they are going to be porous at the back, they haven't really got much choice but to try and be more expansive up front because the alternative is just to sit back and concede goals, which is what they did for 
at various parts of the last 12 months. Mm, excellent. All right, well, exciting times ahead at Turf Moor. Uh, that's the situation then in the Premier League with them in the bottom three. Uh, very shortly, we'll be looking ahead to the midweek action uh, with uh, Alvaro Romeo giving us a quick heads up on whether Villarreal are about to riff on the Red Devils' pain. Uh, first of all, though, let's get some odds from Come Monaghan of Paddy Power with producer Charlie. Thank you, Jimbo. Thank you, listener. You're the completest. You listen to every second of this podcast, much like myself. Carl Monaghan joins me from Paddy Power, and Solskjaer has lost it. The job, that is. Man United are looking for a new permanent manager. Who could it be, Carl? Well, Charlie, the betting is quite open on this one, suggesting Ed Woburn and Powell still have their work cut out for them, lining up Ole Gunnar's replacement. Brennan Rodgers was as short as 5-6 to six last Tuesday evening, but the Leicester boss, who got schooled by Thomas Tuchel at the weekend, is now the 7-2 to two favourite. A remarkable difference in the price, Charlie, as this market was blown wide open when it emerged during the week that the United hierarchy were reportedly intent on convincing one Zinedine Zidane to take over the reins. Second in the betting is one Michael Carrick at fourth one. Who knows what could happen if he gets a tune out of this lot during his time as interim boss. After all, isn't that exactly how Ole managed to anchor his position permanently? Zinedine Zidane, Charlie, is then next up at 5-1. to one. The man who steered the Real Madrid ship to three European Cups in a row with one Cristiano Ronaldo as his first mate. He doesn't speak a lot of English and the Mancunian climate apparently gives his wife the heebie-jeebies. Will Zizou be tempted by Ed's pitch? We'll have to wait and see, Charlie. Next in the betting is Maurizio Pochettino at 6-1. to one. He may well be a perfect fit, but the timing is far from it. The former Spurs boss may well find himself as a free agent, though, in the summer if he fails to win the Champions League this season. And then we have Dutchman Eric Ten Hag, whose great work at Ajax over the last few years has been hard to ignore. The talented Dutchman is 8-1, to one, Charlie. And David Moyes, anyone? The current West Ham boss, who definitely unfriended Ed Woodward on Facebook, is a massive 40-1. to one. Next up on the Mad Man United Champions League mystery tour is a trip to Villarreal on Tuesday. And in spite of what happened at Watford, Ronaldo last goal scorer. Surely that's where the smart money's going, Carl. It's certainly not a bad shout, Charlie. You will get a decent 7-2 on CR7 being the last goal scorer in this game at 7-2. But how about a Donny van der Beek goal, Charlie? He has just been released from the witness protection programme and rather outrageously scored the last ever goal of Solskjaer's tenure. The Dutchman, who Michael Carrick may be tempted to hand a start to in order to freshen up the lineup, is a 5 to 1 shot anytime to score. In terms of the match betting, Villarreal are amazingly not the favourites at a price of 15 to 8. The draw is 12 to 5, and the United win is 13 to 10. Charlie, surely the yellow submarine look a bet, Charlie, now that Ole has walked the plank. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Ooh, it's Black Friday soon. Uh, and to celebrate that, you can now subscribe to The Athletic for a special price of just £1 a month for a full 12 months. Hurry, though, because this offer expires at midnight on Sunday, November the 28th. Uh, go to theathletic.com forward slash totally as well as the phenomenal writing. You also get ad-free versions of this podcast and all the other ones, like the Athletic Football Podcast with that Dan Bardell, the Toby Football League show with the excellent Adrian Clark, which is also out on Monday, actually, and uh, the uh, well, the European one. The European one's going to be packed. We'll get onto that in a second. But, Adrian, do you know what you're going to be touching on in the Toby Football League show Ooh, this week? Well, I mean... Derby, obviously, a mm. sensational performance against against Bournemouth. I don't think many people saw that one coming after the the, the big points deduction. They're back on zero points. So full credit to, to Rooney and Derby. We'll also have to mention that goal. I don't know if you've seen it. Cole Stockton. Cole, Cole Stockton, wow. I mean, nine, it's a 94th minute winner at Fleetwood for Morecambe. And they're, they're, they're kind of local rivals up there in the northwest from the halfway line and it's not just a sort of loopy goal from the halfway line he zings it doesn't he it's like an absolute arrow and it, it, it thuds into the net just just winning goals don't get any better than, than Cole Stockton so yeah we'll definitely be giving that some love that was pretty sensational possibly the goal of the weekend did anybody catch the worst refereeing decision of the weekend up in Scotland in the clash between uh, Dundee United and Aberdeen yeah yeah, Just I mean, extraordinary. Is, is something going to be done about this? If you know what I mean, like, well, yeah, yeah, I think I think it will be rescinded. 
Um, I, 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 my best guess is that the referee just kind of caught it out the corner of its eye. And, and as slight mitigation, you, you aren't looking for that sort of incident as a referee so, normally. So, so what when, had happened was Funzo Ojo had, had uh, basically had to leave. The, his momentum had carried him off the field of play and close to the fans. And as soon as he got close to the fans, you know, not particularly because he was going into the fans or anything, just that was his momentum. One of the, uh, one of the Dundee United supporters basically shoved him. So he didn't shove back or anything. He just kind of squares up as if to say, what on earth are you doing? And then teammates come and lead him away and you know put an arm around his shoulder, only for him to receive a yellow card, and it's his second. So, so the, the, the fan shoves him and he gets sent off for it. It's extraordinary. Yeah, as I say, I think the referee sees the kind of player being led away, sees the altercation and assumes that something's gone on. I mean, it's completely incorrect. The the fan is is responsible. Um, the question is whether the Scottish FA are prepared to intervene on a second yellow suspension, which obviously isn't normally the case. Uh, as a kind of one-off, this is a very weird event, mm. um, kind of decision-making. Dundee United went on to win. 1-0 against a 10-man Aberdeen, so... Well, yeah. it it was even more important because Dundee United had, had a player sent off before that. So they oh. were already down to 10 men uh, three minutes before that. So it kind of levelled up. So that's why I'm, I'm wondering if the referee kind of... I don't know. I wouldn't like to cast aspersions on him. <laughs> just right. Right. <laughs> yeah, but I have damned him. Now, it's the Euro show coming up on Tuesday and there's a lot to talk about. More uh, trouble at uh, French football with the, the match suspended between Lyon and Marseille. Dimitri Payet hit in the head with a full bottle uh, and uh, all sorts of other stories as well, including Bayern Munich losing, a big preview of the key matches in the Champions League this midweek, amongst which there is, of course, Villarreal hosting that Man United. Man United we know about, but how are the Yellow Submarine as they head into this crucial match for their qualification for the last 16? Let's hear from Alvaro Romeo. Hola, Alvaro. Hola, James. How are you? I'm very well. Thank <laughs> you so much. All right. So, well, huge game. Tuesday, one of many in the Champions League. Villarreal and Man United currently level atop their group with Atalanta, only two points behind them. Atalanta are going to be going to young boys who are also still in the running for uh, making it to the last 16, thanks to their victory over Man United earlier on. Uh, Villarreal hosting Man United this time around. I imagine that they've got a bit of a score to settle after what happened at Old Trafford. But Alvaro, what's their form like? How much uh, trouble do you think Man United might be in? Well, I think that... uh... Villarreal in La Liga is not doing very well. The results are there this weekend. They couldn't beat Celta. But I would stay away from uh, their league form. I wouldn't take it as a benchmark because I think that Villarreal in the Champions League has been far better than in La Liga this season. Uh, Obviously, for Villarreal, beating young boys back-to-back was a relief because now they can uh, administrate uh, their advantage or their point collection against Manchester United. And they know that if they win, they are almost in. So this is a very important game for Villarreal. Um, The only problem for them is that they are playing good football in the Champions League. Uh, They've got a really good mix of uh, talent and physicality, possession-oriented players and dribblers. But then they are missing an end product because uh, Gerard Moreno uh, will be likely, uh, is likely to miss the game, uh, meaning that uh, Villarreal doesn't have that scorer who uh, banked 30 goals last season. And uh, Manchester United, on the other hand, they've got uh, very dangerous players. I mean, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer described uh, Cristiano Ronaldo as their Michael Jordan uh, back in... uh, in early November, when they drew against Atalanta, Bruno Fernandes, well, could be their Scotty Pippen as well. Villarreal doesn't have these kind of players right now, because Gerard Moreno could be out with an injury. That's very likely to happen, because Paco Alcácer is not scoring many goals this season, and because Tanjuma, the breakthrough player in La Liga mm. this season, is unlikely, is um, not fully fit, let's put it that way, and uh, let's see if he plays or not. So, Villarreal has... Many good ingredients in the team, but some of them are not available for this game or are doubtful, which makes me think that Manchester United may have the upper hand here. OK, we shall see. Thanks for that, Alvaro. Among the other stories that we're going to be touching on in the European Totally Football Show out on Tuesday is, of course, another Spanish side involved. I use the uh, term loosely in, in their case, uh, but uh, involved in the Champions League, and that's Barcelona. 
They're up against Benfica with their new manager, Xavi. Very briefly, how did he get on in his debut in the derby this weekend? Well, he got a win. That was the most important thing. The penalty the penalty on Memphis Depay uh, was a little bit ridiculous. It shouldn't have happened. But Barcelona won 1-0. That was all that mattered. And I will say that for Barcelona, the biggest problem are the injuries right now. They are playing okay. And under Xavi, they show that they... Uh, can have a new style under Xavi, but then they are missing a lot of goals. So this is going to be an ongoing issue until Dembélé and Sufati are back. Well, huge games on the way. And as a as I mentioned, Alvaro and James Horncastle and Julian Laurent and Raphael Honigstein will be previewing the matches that matter in Tuesday's edition of our podcast. Uh, that brings us to the end of today's show, though. So many thanks to everybody for what's been an illuminating run through all the weekend's fun and games. Uh, Listener, thank you for being with us. We're back on Thursday, of course, as well to round up the uh, Tuesday and Wednesday action. Of course, look forward to the weekend in the Premier League. For now, though, from all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and discover bonus content by following the Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an Athletic Media Company production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.